Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I was thinking earlier today, you remember how just miserable this spring was? Rain and more rain and more rain. It was cold longer than it should have been. Well, the big man upstairs has done a little make good this week for us. I mean, you're you're sitting mid-June with temperatures in the upper 70s, low 80s, low humidity, little bit of a breeze. It's like, where are we? This isn't Mississippi. What a gorgeous week it's been in the Magnolia State. Glad to have you along. Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippy Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land and all that goes along with it for over 100 years. MSLandBank.com. Borky, what's up? Uh, just a bit of breaking news just dropped. Um, Put it on me. I missed it. According, I, th- I think. According to CBS, a high-ranking NCAA official has gone on the record to say that six schools will be hit with level one grade notice of allegations this summer. Two high-profile programs will be served in a matter of weeks. So if that is the number... A few dozen programs were named in this FBI probe, and they're only going to get six of them, but they're going to nail six programs this summer. All right, so the story from CBSSports.com written by Dennis Dodd. He says at least six Division I men's basketball programs will will receive notice of allegations for Level I violations. Stan Wilcox, NCAA VP for Regulatory Affairs, said two high-profile programs would receive notices. That's got to be Arizona and who, LSU or Kansas? You would think LSU, LSU, right? Got to be LSU. And then Wade's probably fired with cause because of that whole restructuring in his contract that happened not too long ago. Would this be a good time? To have to fire a basketball coach seems like not the best time to be looking for a new coach. I mean, especially prob- with an NCAA investigation just getting started. Probably not the best time to be under an NCAA investigation either. What do you mean? Like, I don't think that, like, the, I mean, the, I, I guess it's, yeah, I mean, it's never a good time to probably fire a coach. No, and never really a good time to be under an NCAA investigation either. So, um, I guess we're just kind of guessing right now. I mean, it's got to be Arizona though, right? Oh, as for one sure. Of them? Hey, Dad, is, is that the two you would pin it on? I, I would def if I were a betting man, which I am. Uh, Arizona and LSU would be my my two picks. How about Auburn? You know, they had the coaches involved, but you didn't hear a whole lot more from them. And they and they, you know, 
they move quickly to get rid of Pearson? I don't know. I could see them being towards the back end of this. What if LSU skates on this thing and the two high-profile programs are Kansas and Arizona? That could happen. It'd be really Then who are the other four? To skate, though. Of course, Mm. I say that. It's the NCAA. What are we talking about? Who are the other four? Louisville. Louisville. So so there's there's three of the six. Well, but Louisville would qualify as high profile. Well, I, the way I read it is the high pro there will be two high profile programs in a matter of weeks and the other four will be rolled out at a later date. Is how I read that. So they could all, all right. be high profile, it's just two are coming very very soon. The other four will be rolled out later on. Okay, so yeah, here, opening paragraph of the story from Dennis Dodd. At least six Division One men's basketball programs will receive NOAs for level, uh, level one violations from the NCAA by summer. Um, two high-profile programs would receive notices of allegations by early July. The remaining four would be rolled out later in the summer in what was described as a wave of NCAA investigations meant to clean up major college basketball. Sure, this will be handled efficiently. Well, I was going to say, how's the NCAA going to... um, How are they going to investigate six major programs at the same time dealing with major level one violations? It feels to me like they're just taking the evidence laid out in court and just writing it in their language and rubber stamping it and moving on without really investigating anything. Because I guess they don't really have to if it all played out in court, but that's what it feels like to me. All right, so how about this? Previous reports are out there that Kansas, Arizona, and Louisville are under or have been under investigation. And LSU. So could it be that... Mm, yeah, that's right. At least 20 schools were mentioned during the course of the FBI's investigation, including Oklahoma State, Southern Cal, Auburn, Stan Wilcox said only those schools involved in eligibility issues would be impacted. Would not name any of the schools involved. However, quote, I would just say it's clear when you look at the number of cases that were listed by the Southern District of New York, those numbers are more than likely uh, are more than likely reflected in the number of cases that are going to be moving forward. Wilcox is a former athletic director at, at uh, Florida State. Okay, so we've had a lot of conversation about what does this all mean, what does all this FBI stuff mean, and everybody just kind of says, ah, nothing's going to come of it. Sounds like something's coming of it, doesn't it? Feels like it. I mean, maybe, but this all played out in a court of law. Will Wade still has a job. Sean Miller still has a job. It's like... What evidence? Like what evidence is going? Like how is that going to be different? Because the NCAA with less powers now investigating. Well, the NCAA actually has the ability to punish those programs, whereas the federal government did not. They had the ability to punish individuals. Sure, but and as you mentioned, LSU restructured. So when the NCAA announces penalties against Will Wade or the program, they can fire him with cause and really save themselves. So that's probably why he still has a job. Okay, so investigation begins this summer. Is Will Wade, the coach of LSU, on opening day 
End of October, beginning of November. No, not if a notice of allegations is served. No. I'll say yeah. They'll probably wait till the results. What do they gain about just like what do they gain from it just happening like doing it when there's an NOA right before the season? Yeah, exactly. I, I I tend to agree with Rippy on this that yeah, that he probably Rippy's coaches right. this season. Yeah, and then I mean an NOA didn't get freeze fired. It was it was the other stuff. Ole Miss was prepared to ride that out till the end. The NOA doesn't mean anything. Well, and and for the record, Freeze probably would have survived that if it wasn't for a couple phone calls. Yeah, this you're right. Is, but I agree with that 100%. This is a little different than what the NCAA found, not what the message board said was going on, but what they actually found. This is a lot worse. So this is a, an NOA that could get you fired on the spot. Sure, but what do they gain by doing it? Like, why not wait till the end result? At least let him coach yeah. the year, see what happens. Like, what would they gain by doing it in October? Yeah, I guess you, wouldn't it be something? I mean, ha- having him, a coach that's dead in the water, continuing to run your program to, I know this sounds silly, but ruin the reputation of your school and try to recruit to a dying program just to get fired that everybody knows he's getting fired, and you may have to do that in the middle of this season. Wouldn't it be better just to rip the Band-Aid off once you have the cause that will be delivered this summer? I People th- thought he was getting fired in February. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason to believe you're going to get the results of the investigation before the season's over. I mean, if it doesn't start until July or August, are, are we are we to believe that? But you, what, an the investigation, investigation has already starts, begun. We're talking; they're going to get served with an NOA this summer. I understand that, but you remember the timeline with Ole Miss notice of allegations to final conclusion lasted half a decade. The no, investigation granted, that was did. two. Yes, but the notice of allegations until final resolution was like a two-year operation. Well, they had draft night happen, which kind of changed things. Sure, but like they would gain nothing from firing him as soon as the notice of his allegations was hit in October. Yeah, I mean, you could you could potentially say, well, you're going to jumpstart the rebuilding process, but how are you going to go out and hire somebody? Certainly somebody that's going to be better than Will Wade with the unknown of what the penalties are going to be. I mean, you're still going to have an unknown for, as you guys are saying, for a while. Plus, what happened? No one thought Freeze was going to survive the NCAA investigation. Then at the end of it, he would have survived it. It's like, why not ride out and see what happens? And LSU has given no indication whatsoever that they're going to give in and cooperate. He's already met with them. Will Wade has? Well, they were the, the NCAA was part of the meeting when he sat down with Joe Oliva. That's what I'm saying. So if he's still hanging, then one notice of allegations on Flex going to shirk them, like make them scared. And and look, I mean, you've got recent examples with Ole Miss cooperating, Missouri cooperating with the NCAA, and they got backhanded. What about the uh, the schools that have said, "Screw you, NCAA, we're not helping with anything. You do this on your own." That seems to be a better uh, a better plan of action, and my guess would be that that's the plan of action that a place like LSU will go with. Just getting started with you Wednesday afternoon in the Renaissance Bank Studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm, Sports Talk Mississippi. Oh, I like it, Porky. Does that mean we've got schools on the run? Or is that just blind luck? It's blind luck. Maybe we're about to have a national sports writer on. No. Um, what? What am I missing? 
Oh man, like it's like a running joke. Nash, the, like the national sports writers all love Springsteen. Oh really? Yeah. I thought it was Jason Isbell or whatever. Nah, maybe a little more regional than that. It's a requirement to be a sports writer in America and have a weird obsession with Jason Isbell. Who? That's why. I'm, that's why I'm, I, I don't. He's the guy that played uh, that played double decker. Uh, apparently, he's good. I mean, I've heard a couple of his songs, yeah, and they're really good musician. Yeah, and they're they're good. But there's this odd, like cultish, like obsession with sports writers and that guy. Must have missed the initiation on that one. Yeah, you didn't <laughs> open your email. Check your spam folder. You were, you were too busy getting your doctorate at the time, being yeah. hooded and robed. <laughs> Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Ceasefire, customer-inspired. This from Donald in Oxford. Wow, did not realize this was being investigated by the Southern District of New York, the most corrupt legal federal system in the history of the United States. Reading a book on it now, wonder if someone didn't get their cut. Yeah, Donald, they... Uh, it's uh, it's the Southern District of New York. If um, you know, my only question is: Is Chuck Rhodes leading the investigation? That's the fascinating part of this. All jokes aside, though, is what prompted this, and I don't know if anyone will ever find out. Like, what caused the Southern District of New York to be? Like, you know what? Let's go pinch some basketball coaches. Let's really just start stirring stuff up in amateur athletics. There's like obviously some kind of like pressure to like kill a big fish or make some kind of noise came from somewhere in there, but you have no idea why, and you'll probably never find out. Because this didn't just happen for no reason. Like, there's no way just one guy was kind of like, hey, like, let's start turning over rocks in college basketball. That's the kind of the big fish to fry. When they're sitting, like, it, nine blocks from Wall Street. Right. Like, something happened. And I kind of want to know what what it is, but there's some conspiracies out there, and, you know, that's all they are, but no Nike executive got in trouble. Duke went untouched. Nike, through a college basketball corruption trial, a school that funnels kids to college, or a company that funnels kids to schools all the time, everybody knows it, completely unscathed in a nationwide FBI investigation into the sport. How did that happen? I just think it's fitting that the most corrupt judicial district in America is working with the NCAA. That's peas in a pod. Dan in Charleston asked if you think Duke might be one of the six high-profile programs. Nope. No. Coach Absolutely K, not. He and his jet black hair at 70, nothing beyond the surface. And one of the schools that seems. will get in trouble is on a wiretap talking about how much money it will take to get Zion. They you will get in trouble. fired up today. Oh, it, because, I'm not crying conspiracy, but Nike didn't get touched. Nike did not get touched. There's maybe a reason for that. What do you think the reason is? Somebody at Nike maybe helped or tipped it off or is in the pockets of somebody in New York. I don't know. I'm just saying that Nike went untouched. Yeah. A Duke player. Tough day for three-stripe nation. Seriously. But was Nike the target? Was the target not these assistants like helping sway these kids one way or another? Like was not was were the companies actually directly in the crosshairs? Because you've they got Nike schools, you, you do have Nike schools where coaches were in the crosshairs. They rated them to get information though. That's not necessarily that doesn't necessarily mean they're the target. If you wanted the coaches, wouldn't you go raid Nike as well? Duke had the best recruiting class in college basketball history, including a player who was on a wiretap for another school 
talking specific amounts yeah. of how much it would take to get him, and yet yeah, but nothing Borky, happened. Here's the thing on Duke and the best recruiting classes and all this. If, if you want to talk about a system that is unfair, then I'm all for that conversation. But the reason the system is unfair in favor of Duke is not because of what we've gone through with this federal investigation. It's because Mike Krzyzewski has this untouchable relationship with USA Basketball. I mean, you, you bring kids into USA Basketball, U16, U17, U18 programs, they're practicing at the place where same place where Team USA is. Mike Krzyzewski's the head coach. He's trying to get a kid to Duke. Hey, Zion, come over here and meet LeBron. Perfectly legal. Oh, yeah. And patently unfair. I'm not denying that. But and I can assure you that's not lost on other college basketball coaches. Oh, no. But there still exists a tape recording of another school talking about how much money it would take to get him, and that school didn't get him. They were investigated. They were involved. Nike and Duke were not. Yeah, no, I, I, and look, I'm not defending Nike here by any stretch of the imagination. My point is just, yes, you're talking about Adidas executives. You're not talking about any specific Nike executives but you got a bunch of schools involved in this that are Nike schools, okay? So, so Nike's not just out there floating with nobody having mentioned them. Southern Cal's a Nike school. Oklahoma State's a Nike school. LSU is a Nike school. Auburn, obviously, is an Under Armour school. Kansas is Adidas. Arizona's a big Nike school. So everybody's kind of been touched by, you know, the different apparel companies that are involved. It's just the executives at Adidas who they had the wiretaps on, and those executives right. at Adidas did have former ties, I think, I don't know if all of them, but at least a couple of them worked at Nike before transitioning over to, to Adidas. Okay. W what I'm saying is not related to that, though. I also wonder if, like, like most of the investigating was done with recruits before Zion's class age, whatever you want to call it. Not that that like, completely skirts Duke, but between that and Capel leaving... I wonder if that had anything to do with it. Because Capel was the guy. Like They started getting one-and-dones once Capel got there. Sure. Sure, it's a coincidence, but I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Wednesday afternoon. A little bit of a basketball turn on a, uh, a week when we're talking a lot about baseball. Uh, we know who Auburn is going to be pitching in Game 1 against Mississippi State. So Sunday night, you've got your pitching matchup in place. Of course, Ethan Small going on the hill for Mississippi State. Jack Owen is going to start for um, Auburn. 6'2", sophomore left-hander. Looks just like Jack Black. Tells you Burns probably isn't healthy. Well, Burns didn't go deep in the game against North Carolina either. Burns hasn't right. been healthy basically all season, it feels like. Yeah. Auburn's kind of the lame duck out of these eight. Well, Feels this kid like it. wasn't healthy either, and still really isn't healthy. Nine starts, 13 appearances on the year for Jack Owen. Sub-3 ERA, went 4-2. and two. 63 and two-thirds innings, 58 strikeouts, 11 walks. Pitched really well back before SEC play began against um, Texas San Antonio. Nine innings, complete game, no runs, four hits, seven strikeouts. He's only gotten to the seventh inning three times this year, most recently against LSU on May 17th. You may remember that in the final game of the Ole Miss-Auburn series, Ole Miss kind of had Auburn on the ropes a little bit, 
and then they went to Jack Owen. It was his first appearance in about a month, and he came out and looked like Sandy Koufax. I mean, just untouchable by the Ole Miss hitters for, what was it, three, four innings? Does that sound right? It's like four, what, like four, four for a while? I don't know. That game went extras. Okay. The the final game did. I've forgotten some of the details of it. I just remember him coming in uh, late in that game and being really good. Did not pitch against Mississippi State when the two teams met in, what, mid-March? Is that, was that, when was that in the season? Hey, Dad, it was, was it the week, week of the NCAA two? tournament? It was the week of the NCAA tournament, so. So, yes. I didn't, I didn't okay, so week one coincided with the SEC basketball tournament, so it would have been week two of SEC play, I think. Yeah, that's, that would be correct, yeah. Uh, and that's the time where he was um, uh, was out for a uh, an extended period of time, so did not pitch against Mississippi State. Jack Owen has thrown three times in postseason play, faced LSU in the SEC tournament, five and two-thirds, a run, five hits, five strikeouts, faced Coastal Carolina, in game one of the Atlanta Regional, three and two-thirds, couple of runs, six hits, four strikeouts. And then against North Carolina in the opener, uh, no, it would have been game two. No, 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 it was the opener of the uh, Chapel Hill Regional. He went five innings, gave up four runs. Uh, it was late in that game when Auburn kind of pulled away. I mean, it's advantage Mississippi State with Ethan Small on the hill. Yeah. Really against anybody, but especially against... But yeah, on the other no. side, MSU is a team that's hit lefties well this year. So if you're if you're looking at it from a batting perspective, that's good news for State as well. And Of course, State's hit it's sort of the, the same thing. State's hit everybody pretty well this year. They have, and the splits for Mississippi State, pretty good from both sides of the plate against right-handers or left-handers. But aren't they hitting like, now this is probably from three weeks ago, but hey, aren't they hitting like 315, 320, something like that against left-handers this season? Yeah, it's, it's a big number. Pretty remarkable number, and maybe something that we've not talked about enough this year. Ethan Small gets a trophy. We'll tell you what that trophy is, or maybe just an award, when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. I don't know if there's an actual award ceremony, but if there is, Lubbock, Texas... We'll have a uh, strong contingent from Mississippi when they hand out the awards from the College Baseball Foundation. Yesterday, the Brooks Wallace Award, which goes to the top shortstop in the country, given by the College Baseball Foundation, was handed to Gray Kessinger, shortstop from Ole Miss. The College Baseball Foundation, which is also behind the College Baseball Hall of Fame, which is something that I didn't realize until recently existed. I think they founded it in 2004. Also gives out the John Olerud Award, which goes to the best pitcher. And they give out, I'm sorry, to the best two-way player, because John Olerud was a really good two-way player. And um, they give out the award for National Pitcher of the Year. And the College Baseball Foundation National Pitcher of the Year Award goes to... Ethan Small. It's been handed out since 2009, so a relatively new award. Pretty good list of guys. Steven Strasburg won it in 2009. Trevor Bauer won it in 2011. Aaron Nola in 2014. Carson Fulmer from Vanderbilt in 2015. Small becomes just the second pitcher 
in Mississippi State history to win a National Pitcher of the Year award. Chris Stratton was named Perfect Games National Pitcher of the Year following his 2012 season. Second student athlete to earn a National Player of the Year honor this season. JT Ginn was named National Freshman of the Year by Perfect Game just a couple of days ago. So Small has uh, joined a pretty elite group of Mississippi State student athletes that have won National of the Year awards. Ginn and Stratton we mentioned. Golden Spikes Award winner Will Clark back in 1985. And you remember the catcher Ed Easley in 2007. He won the Johnny Bench Award for the National Catcher of the Year back when uh, when he played at Mississippi State. This is a pretty big honor, hey, Dad, for Ethan Small. Yeah, it really is. It makes me wonder, you know, when you when you look at his stats and you look at, you know, other players around the country, why he wasn't a finalist or even – I don't even think he was a semifinalist for the Golden Spikes Award. Uh, the pitcher from Navy, Noah Song, is in there, but, but uh, Small is, is statistically better than him and – played in the SEC as opposed to, I don't know if Navy is in a conference for baseball or not, but it's sort of mind-boggling he he was not one of those guys. But that said, uh, yeah, Small, I mean, he was the best pitcher in the SEC from start to finish this year. He he never had, uh, he didn't have one start where you're just like, ah, he was bad tonight. His two losses were just tough luck losses. So, yeah, a really great. In in fairness, with the Golden Spikes Award, everybody was playing from second for second Anyway. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, no, no With Adley Rutschman. Yeah, there's no question about that. But for Small, I mean, to me, I, it, the more I've thought about it the past couple of days, he may have been the biggest key to all the success Mississippi State has had this weekend. When you can just put a guy out there on Friday and be confident in victory, it just does so much for the team. Uh, and then State's been able to do that every Friday this season, basically. Um. So Ethan Small already has been named first-team All-American by Baseball America and Collegiate Baseball. First Mississippi State player to garner first-team All-America accolades since Jacob Lindgren did so in 2014. He was named All-American first-team by both Baseball America and Perfect Game. Borky pulled some other notes here. 13th in all of college baseball in ERA, 1.8 ERA, and only four guys ahead of him of the 12 that are totally in front of him have thrown more innings than Ethan Small. Second in the country in hits allowed per nine innings. He is sub-five hits. He's 13th in the country in strikeout-to-walk ratio, and this is mind-boggling, 6.25. And, Borky, I think the second in strikeouts number was actually prior to the Super Regional. I think in his Super Regional outing, uh, Ethan Small passed Noah Song from Navy for most strikeouts uh, all year long. Well, that's what I, I get that for been... relying on the NCAA, their website, to do my research. <laughs> I think yeah. that might have actually even been in the regional, Richard. I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Well, he passed Noah Song regardless. Yeah. So nobody in the country has more strikeouts this season than Ethan Small at Mississippi State, and his whip, second in the country, point eight. That's a staggering number. That's a big time number. I pointed it out. You know, they've been tweeting it from a from a Michigan baseball all year that that forty four percent of the batters who have faced Small this year, forty four forty five percent, have struck out. You know, think about you know the only I think fourteen percent have gotten a hit. I mean, that's a, that's an incredible number. Incredible. And and you want to talk about an argument for coming back to school when you do have leverage? I completely understand the. You get drafted as a junior, you go in the 17th round, 
Yeah, you probably aren't going to get a whole lot better. I mean, maybe you move up, but you probably don't move up a ton money-wise unless you move all the way into like a second-round spot. Right. And numbers may be off a little bit, but you understand what I'm saying. You just don't have much leverage when you come back as a senior. Which they're probably not taking many seniors in the top two rounds because once you get it to the third. Did you see some of these senior signings in the last couple of days? No, what have I missed? Nathan Jones, fifth round of the Mets, 10K. Three hundred sixty-four thousand. Oh, it gets round. worse. It gets worse. Ten K, three hundred forty, three hundred sixty-four thousand dollars slot value. Uh, Karan Patel, ten thousand two hundred thirty-one thousand dollars slot value. Ninth round of the Royals, Clay Dungan, twenty-five hundred bucks. Yeah, and these are Mang- slot value picks. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mangum probably won't picks. be much much above that if I had to guess, if at all. And he went in the fourth round, right? The fourth Connor. Round, yeah. So the Mets and the Mets have uh, the Mets apparently did this with all seniors trying to get a couple of the high scores they targeted because Connor Wollersheim is a senior eighth round he got a thousand bucks in the eighth Dang. round <laughs> and Duplantis is a senior as well right yeah so apparently so, the Mets did this on on so you got Antoine Duplantis and Jake Mangum who were top ten round picks by the Mets we've not get, seen numbers for them yet you might end up spending thirty k total. Dumb question, but I feel like I'm not alone in asking. What's the point of even having a slot value if they just don't have to? Hey, why even call it a slot value if they can offer guys, you know, a few thousand bucks when they're due? Do, do you want more than that? If the guy doesn't sign at all, they lose the entire amount of slot value. Okay, but if they sign a kid under it, they can use that money. So in some ways, they need like the only leverage that like those kids have is they need the kid. Like the kids like kick rocks. I'm not signing. They lose the entire slot value. Like they okay. lose all of that money. But if you sign for under it, you can use that as capital to go get a high school kid that you drafted in the fourth, fifth round, something like that. Make it worth his while. So slot values exist for the first ten rounds of the draft, and you have a total pool of money. Uh, let's just call it $7 million. We're talking about the Mets. Let's just say that the Mets have $7 million to spend on their first 10 picks of the draft. And each team is different based on the year. Right. I mean, it, it varies a little bit. So let's use $7 million as a number for the Mets. So it, let, let's say that they signed Duplantis for 50000 uh, and his slot value was 150000 So they've saved $100,000 that they can use. If they don't sign Duplantis, they lose the entire 150000 if they do sign him for under slot value, now they've got a hundred thousand that they can push somewhere else. Jake Mangum, I, I'm doing this off the top of my head. I want to say slot value for his pick was two eighty ish. Is that right, Hayden? Does that sound about it was right? Higher than that, it'd it was be like, higher than that if he's fourth like round because okay, seventh round was two thirty. So okay. Well, well let, let, and that's why the say, seniors get screwed, for lack of a better term. It's because it's they have very bad no system. option. Yeah, it's a bad system. But so, so let's say that the slot value for Jake Mangum's four hundred thousand. Um, if they sign him for one seventy five, now they got two and a quarter to work with. In addition to that other hundred thousand that they can now push forward, and instead of paying a kid in the second round two point one million, now they can offer him two point four five million or something along those lines. Does that make more sense, Borky? Yep. Other than it. Other than it being kind of a screwy system, yeah, and I guess I always understood that you have more leverage as a junior because you could go back to school. I just did not realize that there was not a floor to what they could offer a guy that has no leverage like a senior. I had no sure. idea that that there wasn't that failsafe or well, whatever you want to call it. So I don't know this exactly off the top of my head, but isn't there the reason they're getting drafted 
in the fourth ish round, either after the second or like there's a you have to get at least forty percent, and that but that only pertains to like the first two or three rounds, and after that, it's uh you lost me on the math there. No, I mean I understand what you're saying. I, lost I just don't you on the math. Well, I understand Whoa. what you're saying. I just don't know what the exact numbers are. Yeah, yeah, but like so, there's like a there is a floor for the first couple of rounds. But the reason these kids are getting picked for three through ten or four through ten, whatever it is, because that floor doesn't apply after the first two or the first three rounds. I don't know which one. The 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 original point though that I was making was you see the argument though for a guy like Ethan Small who was a draft eligible sophomore a year ago coming back. Clearly, he's not coming back regardless after this season, but coming back, he does have leverage. He can go improve his draft stock. He's still got the leverage as a draft-eligible junior with one more season in which he could go back to college and pitch if he wanted to. And so Ethan Small probably going to get really close to what his slot value is or maybe even a touch more than his slot value is yeah, based on all this other stuff that's happening around it. We don't know who else the Brewers drafted off the top of our heads, so we can't figure that out. But my guess is, yeah, they'll probably find a little extra money for him. 601-879-4395, the number for the C Spire text line. C Spire, customer inspired. That's one way that you can connect with us. We'd love to hear from you this afternoon. Coming up a little bit later, Eric Sorensen from D1 Baseball will join us. We'll talk College World Series with him. And also, we're going to talk some golf. Tomorrow, the U.S. Open begins with Will Bardwell in the 5 o'clock hour. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. So tomorrow night in Omaha, you've got a Major League Baseball game, Friday opening ceremonies, and then the play begins for real on Saturday and lasts for the uh, next six months, right up to the start of the college football season. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com, and go with the home team. Eric Sorensen from D1 Baseball. What's up, my man? You ready for a uh, couple of months in Omaha? Yeah, that's what it seems like most of the time, Rich. But yeah, man, I'm I'm uh, I'm geeked. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, a lot of good baseball coming up in the week ahead. All right, so I'm telling a story about you here. Your your hope is that you don't get to the if necessary game on Saturday because that gives you a couple of days off. And I know in the past you've like picked up and left Nebraska and just like gone off in the woods to meditate or something for a couple of days. Where's the best place you've gone mid College World Series? That's close too. Yeah, I call it my walkabout weekend, and uh, I stayed at a haunted hotel in uh, in the in 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 South Dakota uh, two years ago, I guess it was. Um, and it wasn't well. I never saw any ghosts or anything like that, but it was a little bit creepy. And when I got there, a rainstorm and thunderstorm just happened to hit about the same time I was trying to go to sleep. So it made it a little bit unnerving. But yeah, I just try to go someplace, get away from it for a little while, grab a bottle of whiskey, and just kind of chill out for a few days because Omaha can get pretty draining there at the College World Series. Yeah. So um, I was talking a little bit with Aaron Fit yesterday feels like a pretty balanced field, and I think going in, at least on paper, this looks like it could be a really fun tournament. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah, no, I, Aaron's got it right. I think a lot, I, there's reasons, I was kind of thinking about it this way, Rich, there's reasons for every team to win this College World Series. I think every team has something about them that, yeah, you could see them winning. And I'm, you know, even Florida State, even Michigan, those are the two three seeds that are here. Both Even Auburn? Teams, yeah, and, and Auburn too. Auburn might be the one that that I would probably have the least confidence in 
going okay. into this thing, but but you know what? They're playing a bunch of SEC teams, so it seems that they're they're very uh, they're very versed with you know they they know them well. So I, I'm not going to count discount anybody to be honest with you. All right, so if if I pinned you down and said not necessarily give me a winner, but give me the two teams that you think are most likely advanced to the finals, who would you pick and why? Yeah, well, I I would go with Vanderbilt. I, I know they're kind of the chalk team, I guess, right now. Um, you know, especially especially if Kumar Rocker's still throwing like he was last week, which was ridiculous. But I just think talent wise, everything's there for for Vanderbilt. Um, and they've you know obviously pitching, hitting is the best batting order probably here in Omaha. And and the team I think they would meet would be Texas Tech. Uh, there now here's why I'm saying that though, Rich. Part of it is because I picked them at the beginning of the NCAA tournament, so I kind of want to stick with my team. But at the same time, they've got the art, they've got the uh, experience of being here the last few years, so I think that's kind of something that helps them out a bit. And if you want to pick a wild card, obviously it's not much of a wild card. I think it's one of the favorites, really, is Arkansas. Arkansas is a team that just kind of has, you know, they're on a mission. I think they're on a mission to make amends for last year. So that's my asterisk that comes between Texas Tech and Vanderbilt. You you did not mention Mississippi State from that right side of the bracket. What's your hold up on them? I, I, I promise, Rich, there's no hold up on them. I swear, they they seem especially with the way they've gotten the pitching uh, this past week. Ethan Small is going to give them a W practically every time he goes out. Peyton Plumley pitched great last weekend. I, I it, the only reason I picked against them is because I have a little bit more confidence factor in Vanderbilt. Um, but geez, nothing's going to surprise me if. Mississippi State gets uh, gets up here and storms through their bracket. I really don't think that would be a shock to me. All right, Eric. So I will admit that there is likely a little bit of recency bias here for me because I was in Louisville last weekend, and I think East Carolina is a pretty good baseball team. And I can't yeah. tell you how impressive Louisville was. I think Louisville is going to beat Vanderbilt in the first game, if for no other reason because of the pitching matchup. I know Drake Fellows lost for the first time this year in his last outing, but man, Reed Detmers in Game One against Drake Fellows, I'm going Van or I'm going Louisville uh, with giving them the nod in that pitching matchup. Do you think I'm crazy? No, no, not at all. And I know I probably sound like I'm all over the board on this. Yeah, but, a little bit. But Aaron, but yeah, but Aaron is right. I mean, Aaron is right. Aaron fits right about every team. All these teams being pretty equal, pretty strong, and having their strengths and their weak, you know, very few weaknesses. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see. I mean, because if you look at Louisville and they go out and they beat East Carolina, what is it, twenty-three to one combined score, something like that. And by the way, great job on the play-by-play. I was really, I was, I was really impressed with it. Good job yourself on that, Rich. But yeah, Thanks, they, man. they keep doing that. And obviously, yeah, Reed Detmers at the top. Getting Michael McAveen back at uh, at the back of the order, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, back of the uh, of the bullpen. Yeah, it's it's this is you're right. I okay. I will I will relent to this. I do see a, a a scenario where Louisville does beat Vanderbilt in the first game. So yeah, that that would put Vanderbilt against the you know against behind the eight ball. I guess you could say. So that would that would be a tough one to overcome. But Louisville was strong. I mean, they just looked really good, and they got they did it kind of quietly. Nobody really, everybody kind of forgot about them because they were the first team that advanced to Omaha uh, like after two days. Eric Sorensen on your radio D1Baseball.com, getting set to head to Omaha. He will eat a bunch of steaks and will watch a bunch of baseball <laughs> over the next couple of weeks. Eric, one of the yeah. the interesting things to me about the College World Series is that most years. 
the city of Omaha, the, the people of Omaha that go to this event, they adopt a team. When LSU's there, because they've been so many times, it's usually LSU that gets adopted. We saw them adopt Coastal Carolina a few years ago. We've seen a couple of times where they've kind of embraced Mississippi State. Because of Mike Martin, is Florida State the team that the locals are going to adopt as kind of a sentimental favorite this year? Yeah, I think so, Rich. That's a good way to put it. I kind of thought Mississippi State, you're right, Mississippi State is a team that, you know, the Omahans love. They love how the big following that they bring up there. I thought maybe Michigan because they're, you know, now, now Omaha's in Big Ten country now after, the whole, after all the conference switching. But, man, yeah, yeah I don't think people are going to cheer against Mike Martin uh, coming into uh, Omaha this week. And, you know, it's really cool to see that he made it. Let's see how the team reacts now. I mean, they, the way they killed Georgia two weeks ago, that was was really impressive. And then, of course, going to LSU, winning there, that's just tough to do. So, yeah, this is going to be interesting to see how how much the, if, if the Nebraskans adopt of, of Florida State. It almost seemed like the LSU fans adopted him, but not his team necessarily last weekend. But they treated him really well. And I think yeah. they were respective of that. They were respectful of that. But yeah, that's that, that's another team. Like I said on your show last week, the team I just don't want to bet against. And, and, and uh, no matter what, just because they seem to be playing pretty inspired baseball too. So that, that's what makes that Arkansas game, uh, the first game, really interesting. Both teams have a reason to be very inspired and get off to a good start. Eric, when Nebraska played in the Big Ten championship game, you saw a picture from TD Ameritrade, and it looked like a College World Series game. Like 15,000, 16,000 Nebraska fans, they really, really support baseball when it's good. Tell me that I'm going to be pleasantly surprised when Michigan and Texas Tech meet, when I look up, and there are going to be five or six or 7,000 Michigan fans in the stand. Is, is that going to happen? I think it will, uh, Rich. I, I think you're right because that's yeah. Like I said, it's kind of you know they've they've adopted. They're the Big Ten team. They're in Big Ten country now, and uh, and I think Nebraska fans are yeah they're smart enough. I think they're savvy enough to uh, to to cheer for a team that you know is is I guess essentially kind of a rival of Nebraska's right now. But either way, man, that 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 order. I'm sorry, not order. The uh, the the pitching rotation that I saw at UCLA last week. Carl Kaufman, Jeff Criswell, and Tommy Henry, they were really impressive. If they shut down UCLA the way they did, I wouldn't say they completely shut them down, but they did hold them in check for the most part. Man, that's those are three really good starters. Two of them were second-round draft picks last week of the MLB draft. So give Michigan a fighter's chance here in Omaha. We'll see what happens with them in Texas Tech off the, off the bat. I like kind of like what you're talking about, Rich, with the pitching matchup with Louisville and Vanderbilt. I kind of like Michigan's pitching matchup. Uh, going into that first game against Texas Tech, you know, I just, I, I kind of, Carl Kaufman's been really dominant. I know he's got six losses on the year. That's not all his fault. A lot of them were early in the season. But yeah. uh, the, I really like, I really like uh, Michigan's matchup there in the first game. Eric, last thing. I, I, I don't know if there's anybody that covers college baseball that goes to more off the wall places to watch games than you do. We look up and you're in Hawaii and then you're in the Northeast and then you're in the, you know, Pacific Northwest, all over the map. So I feel like yeah. you're the right guy to ask this question to. Sure. Is there a is there a school or a program where the coach fits better than Tim Tadlock at Texas Tech? Oh, interesting question. Yeah, you know, it's kind of true. He's kind of a no-nonsense guy, nose to the grindstone stone type of guy and that kind of, you know, his teams kind of reflect that. That's a good way that's a good way to put that. He's and he's 
What he's done at Texas Tech has been really great. Um, I, I thought, you know, Larry Hayes was a legend there at Texas Tech. And, and you know, he, he did a good job. But Tim Tadlock's just amped it up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. He's been to Omaha now four times. I mean, that's impressive. That's, that's been, a, it's been a really good hire for them. And, and you're right, a perfect fit for that program. He is absolutely all Texas. Eric Sorensen is all Omaha for the next few weeks. And, uh, (laughs) a friend, it's been another fun year visiting with you, talking baseball on the radio. We'll catch you soon. Are you going to be up there this year? Are you coming up to see State play or what? Let's see how far they make it. I I might make a uh, a late College World Series appearance if they get all the way to the championship series. But my man Brian Haydad will be there for the duration. You got it, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for sharing the airwaves, Rich. That's Eric Sorensen from D1 Baseball, D1Baseball.com. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Show's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. If you've got land financing needs, Mississippi Land Bank can help. If you're in North Mississippi, let's say you're a farmer in the Delta or maybe in Northeast Mississippi or somewhere in between, and you've got land financing needs, need to buy a new piece of property, well, Mississippi Land Bank can help, need to buy a piece of equipment or refinance an existing loan or get a production loan, Mississippi Land Bank, they are in the business of doing all of those things. Not a farmer, but want to build a dream house or buy a recreational piece of property or get an auto loan. All of those things fall under what Mississippi Land Bank does and has been doing for over a 100 years. Fantastic people that you are dealing with at Mississippi Land Bank. Find them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. We've missed a couple, but it's time to get back on track, counting you down 100 teams in 100 days. This day is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This day is bananas. 100 teams in 100 days. Okay, ready? Three, two, Number 80 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. The Ramblin' Wreck from Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. That's a good fight song. And they also play the Budweiser song too, Borky. Did, did you listen to that when you were kind of tracking down the Georgia Tech Georgia Tech fight song. You no, know, I found this file and it was so good. It was the first one I clicked on. It was so good. I just, I just went with it. So, what Budweiser yeah. song? The when you say Budweiser, you've said it all. You, you should uh, see if you can find. I'll that. find it real quick. It, it, it's fun. It's really yeah. It's the, good. the the coaches that have been at Georgia Tech through the years. I mean, obviously Bobby Dodd is the name that jumps out. But did you know that John Heisman put together 16 consecutive non-losing seasons and won 104 games between 1904 and 1919? John Heisman hired in 1904 for a salary of $2,250 and 30% of the home ticket sales. That was his compensation, which is probably pretty good. In 1904. What would that be nowadays if you could get a deal like that? 30% of ticket sales? Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, let's say at a place like Georgia Tech, they sell 
25,000 season tickets. Yeah. 30,000 maybe, a 55,000 seat stadium. Uh, we'll call it 30,000. And a season ticket costs 250 bucks, 300,000. I'm sorry. $300. So what? 30,000 times 300. Is that 9 million? Sounds right. Maybe, Lost me maybe on some the coaches math. should get into the Heisman plan here. Let's well, I'll take less I mean, salary. Not, yeah, but hold on a second. Thirty percent of nine million, about four million, kind of about where you are, isn't it? But you said ticket sales. It didn't say season ticket sales. Just ticket sales. Well, we're, we're getting every ticket in the stadium. I'm oh, getting thirty percent. That's a good point. That's a good point. I bet they so, didn't yeah. really have season tickets back in nineteen. Probably not. You don't think so? They probably didn't have tickets so much. They were just like you just wandered up to the pasture and watched whatever was going on there. Exchange like a goat or a pig uh, for entry? You didn't wander up to the pasture, not at historic Bobby Dodd Stadium. That's true. Bobby Dodd coached there from 1945 to 1966. Here it is. It's just the tail end, the best audio I could find. You said it all. So I missed it there at the end, go. they go, when you say Budweiser... You said it all. I don't know why that is synonymous with Georgia Tech football, but it is. Yeah, I found uh, some audio of the uh, old song, too. You've said a lot of things nobody else can say. <laughs> it's not as exciting. Uh, a little less exciting. It's a little jammier as it, uh, as it goes along. You can't believe this used to sell beer. What if they ran that back out there? What did they change the words to? They didn't change the words. Georgia Tech just says Budweiser. And the students, like, bob up and down while they're playing the song. It's really, it's kind of cool. Yeah. All it's missing is like a swarm of bees or yellow jackets. People take pictures with it. Jeff Collins headed into his first season as the head coach at... Georgia Tech, he follows Paul Johnson, who was there from 2008 until 2018. Uh, Georgia Tech's won 735 games all-time. They claim national championships in 1917, 1928, 1952, and 1990. 1990, co-national champions with Colorado Buffaloes. And there's some really good players that have been at Georgia Tech through the uh, years. 48 first-team All-Americans all-time. Calvin Johnson is the guy that immediately comes to mind. Demarius Thomas, Joe Hamilton, some good wide receivers and some good running backs. But this has the feel of a difficult year. Yeah. Right? Might because be this is the year they're making the transition. Making the change. For- it's going gonna, it's gonna to take at least a year, yeah. So is the triple option outside of the service academies now extinct? Pretty. Um, you say that. Well, no, the Kansas State guy. No, the I'm asking. Is a is an he's a I don't know if he's a triple option guy, but he runs a very run heavy option offense. No, I'm, I'm not talking shotgun. I'm talking like true triple option. Well, is that oh, dead? Then, get yeah, this, Rippy. Take a guess who was visiting with the Baltimore Ravens and teaching some offense recently. Ken Niamatololo. No. The guy that was just the coach at Georgia Tech is up in Baltimore doing consulting work with the Ravens. Paul Johnson. 
Paul Johnson is teaching the Ravens how to run the triple option. Surely the Baltimore's not coming out in like a... Oh, no, they're just looking for concepts. But I found that so funny is they're so all in on the quarterback that can't throw that they're bringing the triple option guy to teach them how to use a quarterback that can't throw. Tell me if this is a recipe for success or not. New coach, new offense that is vastly different from the old offense, game one of the year, debut of the ACC Network for college football, Thursday night, August 29th, at Clemson. Ooh. No, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. What's the big transition other than maybe getting like playmakers on the perimeter? I'm not like saying it's not going to be, but I'm asking. I mean, you don't you have guys a quarterback. Teaching offensive linemen to pass block? Yeah, you, you have a quarterback probably. Certain you offensive can, linemen as well. It's you have a quarterback who's seen, you know, how to pass. Well, yeah, I've those, seen plenty of college teams succeed without a quarterback that can pass. That's true, but one went to an outlet bowl last year. <laughs> Jeez, Sporky. <laughs> Thanks for filling in the blanks, Sporky. You're welcome. I didn't know that uh, Richard's all-time favorite baseball player went to Georgia Tech. Who's your favorite baseball player? Nomar Garcia Parra. Nomar! Yeah. yeah. A, uh, oh, I got it now. I didn't know Nomar went to Tech, though. Yeah. I didn't either until right now. When I, I looked up the famous alums. Clemson, USF, the Citadel at Temple in Week 4. Ooh. Oh, wow. Couldn't USF and Temple potentially rock them? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yep. North Carolina on October 5th at home. Got to go to Duke, go to Miami, Pittsburgh at home, on the road against Virginia, host Virginia Tech, host NC State on a Thursday night, and then close it out against the Georgia Bulldogs in Atlanta. Old-fashioned hate when uh, when those two teams get together. So Paul Johnson steps down after uh, last season, and you know you, you look at Paul Johnson and his time at Georgia Tech, and it was like just this roller coaster. It would be a really good year. And then it'll be an average year, and another average year, and a bad year. And then you get back to an average year, and then you get to a good year. And overall, last year they go seven and six, went five and three in the ACC, uh, had a big win against Alcorn State to start the year. Lost on the road to USF. They lost to Pittsburgh. I mean, that's two games. You know, they probably should win one of those two. They lost to Clemson. They smoked Bowling Green in Louisville. They lost to Duke. Big win over Virginia Tech. Beat North Carolina, who was bad. Beat Miami, who turned out to be pretty bad. Beat Virginia in overtime. And then lost to Georgia. And lost in their bowl game to Minnesota. So, he won an ACC title and an Orange Bowl. Would Ole Mr. State employ a coach that ran the triple option to win the SEC one time? <sighs> yes, State If you would. knew that was going to be the outcome, absolutely. Yeah, it would. Okay. That'd be kind of interesting. Could you enjoy watching that kind of football for a decade? Two Orange Bowls. We'll put I two could. on there. I love I love the running game, so I'm an always run, never pass kind of guy. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Jeff Collins has bounced around a bunch of places and now is the head coach at Georgia Tech. I think long term, he's got a chance to be pretty good with Jeff Collins there. Jeff, Jeff Passan from ESPN reporting that the alleged hitmen who tried to murder David Ortiz were paid $7,800. 
Police in the Dominican Republic haven't revealed the motive behind the attempted killing, but five men are currently in custody. One of them uh, was taken into custody almost immediately after the shooting. The guy that drove the uh, alleged killer, or the alleged attempted killer, the shooter, to the uh, scene on a motorcycle was tackled and nearly beaten to death by a mob of angry Dominicans before being turned over to police, and four others were arrested about um, 100 miles away from Santo Domingo. Morky, you were telling me that there's some details related to this. Is it news, or is it just like online rumor as to what it was all about? It depends on how much you trust the Daily Mail, is what it comes down to, but they reported that Three law enforcement sources told them that it was uh, about an alleged affair between Ortiz and a drug lord's wife. Oh. Yeah, so if the Daily Mail is accurate, then that's that's where that came from. But I haven't seen that reported by, like, ESPN or something. I don't know if I buy that. It would okay, make well. sense, though. He's a national hero. And it but wasn't a robbery. But if it's a drug kingpin... Don't you think a drug pink kingpin is going to hire somebody a little more savvy than a dude that you know seventy eight bucks to get beat up by the crowd on a scooter and miss seventy eight hundred? Okay, seventy. But nevertheless, thinking. yeah. Well, the, in the Daily Mail report, two of the five were police officers. That's interesting. But <laughs> it's the Daily Mail, so who knows? Yeah, I don't know. You got any other working theories? Have no. you seen the video? Yes. It's not I very not. clear, though. It, so, it's a surveillance video, and they keep calling it a club, but it doesn't look like a club to me because it, it, look, it looks like a restaurant because everybody's sitting down and eating and drinking and, and talking. It's not like a nightclub where everybody's dancing and it's dark. It's it's pretty pretty low-key atmosphere. And Ortiz is sitting at a table at the very top of the screen, and you see this guy come in, just hold a gun out, shoot him, and just take off. And it's just just wild because nobody stops him or, or even notices him until after he pulls the trigger. But, I mean, he is clear as day, just standing up in the middle of this place, fires, and then takes off. Clear on this surveillance footage. It was wild. Hmm. <laughs> And then there's also videos of the guy getting beat up on the streets. Maybe have a better escape plan if you're going to try to take down a national hero. That's why I think if this was some like big drug kingpin that like this probably would have been better executed. I don't know. Maybe the Daily Mail's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the the amount of like sympathy and well wishes for David Ortiz just absolutely overflowing. And it's funny because he played for the Red Sox. Biggest rivalry was the Yankees and a lot of well wishes coming from New Yorkers, including the former mayor, Rudy Giuliani, and lots of others. He kind of endeared himself even to Yankees fans along the way, didn't he? Yeah, but he also got shot. Like that's just kind of basic decency. Well, look, well, common courtesy between between rifles is okay. No, I, but we're talking about two different things, though. I mean, yes, I, I mean, I kind of kind of a jump cut there. It's interesting to me that this is not not 
reaching out because he got shot, but even going back to as his career was ending and he was on the retirement tour, he was pretty warmly embraced by the Yankees as an organization and like as a fan base. I mean, is that just like a real recognizes real thing? Yeah, for the most part. And he never really. Uh, I mean, I guess I mean, he, he had the big same moments against the Yankees, but he Boston. never took. Sh- I don't remember him ever taking shots at the Yankees. I think he was sort of beloved nationally for the speech he made after the uh, the Boston Marathon Marathon bombing, where you know he he dropped the f bomb. It's fairly profane. Yeah, well, he made a, he made his point. It and, was uh, awesome, you know, though. It was oh, it was a great moment. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you can have that. They, they, you can have that kind of respect. Well, and isn't he the one that, after he got his citizenship, like took the field waving an American flag and called it the best day of his life and that kind of stuff? It's easy to he's like also, a guy that does that kind of thing. Yeah, Borky kind of just hit on. He's also way more likable than like I like a Rod on TV. I think he's great on TV, but he was like hated as a player. Like David yeah. Ortiz is a much more likable dude. Yeah. Ortiz wasn't afraid to go uh, third person either, was he? I mean, he would talk about himself in the Big Poppy tense. Yes, he would. It's just the best nickname ever. It's a good one. He's yeah. also one of my favorite ESPN commercials with him and Posada, and he puts on the Yankee hat and the Red, Sco- the Red Sox mascot sees him and freaks out. I don't remember that one. Oh, I know you what you're talking search. about. It's, it's hilarious. Will. Mariano Rivera probably got the same thing, if I remember correctly, from Boston people. Yeah, he did, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Did get that I remember when Bird retired and Magic spoke at at half court and had the Celtics t-shirt on under his warm-ups. So, yeah, you know, stuff like that happens. Yeah. I I guess you got to be a transcendent star for that to happen. So certainly there was a lot of respect between opposing fans and... Uh, David Ortiz when he was a player because of his greatness on the field. Respect is a word that has been thrown around a bunch in the last 24 hours in the wake of a 13 to nothing, 13 nil win for the United States women's national team in their opening round game, group stage game against Thailand in the World Cup. We were watching it unfold. When we came on the show, it was four to nothing yesterday. When we finished the first hour, it was 13 to nothing as the game was coming to an end. A beatdown of epic proportions, and people are saying that the United States was very unsporting in their win and their celebrations. Some of these takes are just like, oh, come on. How do you feel about a 13 nil win and celebrating along the way? Big time celebrations. Do you I'm have a problem it. with them? I'm for it. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm of the uh, Spurrier mindset. If you want it to stop, you stop it. If you can't stop it, well, that's your problem. Should have practiced harder. I don't know. I don't have, a, I don't have an issue with it. Borky? I mean, I guess what people are missing here is the tournament format encourages you to run up the score. Right. That, that's part of it. but Scoring now, differential matters. Scoring differential matters in the World Cup. So, of course, they're going to continue scoring at will. May, you know, maybe they probably shouldn't have celebrated goal 11, 12, and 13. But the thing is, this is the highest level of sport. This isn't Little Timmy's t-ball game where they stop keeping score at a certain amount to not hurt the kids' feelings. There's no room for feelings at the World Cup. 
where this is the best players in the world competing against each other. There's no room for feelings at that level. So, like Haydad said, either learn to stop them, or if they're putting a beat down on you, put your head down, accept your beating, and try to get better. Or take out somebody's knee. This is also just manufactured internet outrage. Like, no one actually, like, sat down at the dinner table last night and was like, I can't enjoy this food because they danced at 12 nothing. Like, no one actually cares. It's I just a, it's just entertaining to get night. upset on the internet about it. Like, this I did not actually and, bother anyone's day, whether it be Thailand to. or the United States. Like, I guarantee even the people that tweeted about it five minutes after forgot they tweeted about it. This didn't actually bother anyone, but this is perfect for, you know, Twitter outrage machine. This didn't really bother anyone. Let's 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 call it what it is. Them dancing on the sideline at a World Cup game did not ruin anyone's day. No one was like, I'm calling it quits. I'm going to bed. They danced at 12 nothing. Not a single person. All this stuff is so stupid. I mean, did, did that actually change the way any single human being went about their Forget day? Forget it, he's today? rolling. Zero. It's, it's ridiculous. It, it, it's been a tough week for it, too, between the NBA Finals and the Twitter doctor and... You know, trying to diagnose injuries to you know, dancing on the sidelines when you score goals in a World Cup. This didn't actually bother anyone. But, you know. Good newspaper column fodder. Yeah, two a-holes tweet about it and it becomes an international incident. I think it's Jason McIntyre from uh, Fox Sports that I've talked to some people, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, close to the team, and you can expect more of this. The women's national team is trying to make a point in the World Cup that they should indeed be paid equal to the men's World Cup national team. Does going out and beating teams 13-0, and then if they follow it up with an 8-0 game, and et cetera, et cetera, does that help their pay-me-more cause? No, the television ratings that aren't as good uh, will ultimately determine that because that's where the revenue comes from but whatever motivates them to beat the crap out of everybody else in the world i'm all for it. that's fine hey dad i think you were trying to get a word in i was just going to say that i had to take my children and sit them down and explain to them that this is not how the world works last night no I, i'm with rippy you know it, you're just gonna it's, it's fake genu- manufactured outrage for the for the purposes of being able to talk about it Angry Rippy is the best Rippy. More coming up in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Ceasefire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. Do you want ultra-fast LTE for free? Switch to a $25 unlimited plan on prepaid by Ceasefire for two free gigabytes of high-speed data each month and a free Samsung Galaxy J3. Learn more at cspire.com slash prepaid. 601-879-4395. That is the number for the Cspire text line. I think this is directed at Rippy. There's no class in winning 13-0 and celebrating. See, but that didn't really bother you. Like Me? No, whoever texted that. Like, that didn't actually bother you. You probably did. Well, the one, there's about a 50% chance you didn't see it. Two, like you didn't actually look at that and be like, that actually deep down bothers me. You're just trying to be offended. Like that's, what do you care? It's it's the USA and Thailand. How in the world did that affect your day? In France, no less. Okay, wonderful. 
<laughs> just was adding to your argument. But 99% of people that were outraged about this didn't actually watch it. Oh, I would. Oh, 99 might be a little steep. I, I'd go. I'd go 60 or 70. But like, they didn't, like, whoever texted that, that didn't really bother you. All right, Mr. 601. Rippy says, you just texted that because you felt like it was the thing to do. It didn't actually bother you. Well, that's paraphrasing, but sure. Zach in Oxford says, Arkansas really didn't mind celebrating, nor did their fans. They didn't seem to care about our feelings. Ha <laughs> ha. That pig was jacked up, ate a ton of hay. Do pigs eat hay? Yeah, that thing was eating hay, or was eating something in the hay. I watched it. Walk I mean, here's, here's the thing. If 13-0 in the World Cup bothers you in celebration, then when your team bat flips, when your team dances in the end zone after a touchdown... When McNamee hits a walk-off, or not a walk-off, but a three-run jack in the ninth to make it 8-1. to one, Might as well have been a walk-off. That all bothers you, too. Because you can't say, well, you, you know, you've got to understand the backstory. Because, you know, with McNamee, I mean, he didn't get drafted, and he's been hurt, and it was his last at-bat. It's the freaking World Cup! You can't be one or the other. You got to be both and. But no one actually is either or. And no one's actually mad about that. Send me one certain umpire, but other than that. <laughs> George in West Point says when they win like that, it's all part of it. Get over it. Get a life. It is the most peak 2019 thing ever to be offended by the country that you reside in and presumably root for winning a game. Kicking the crap nothing. out of the opponent. Like, in women's Tim. soccer. Tim and McGee. I loved it when I heard the score, 13-0. And I don't even like soccer because I'm from the U.S. <laughs> He's got a point there. Uh, 13-0 in soccer is like 100 to nothing. In football, somebody says it's the USA. I've been begging like you for anyway. a 100 nothing football game for years. I wanted, I've been wanting to see it my whole life. That's the perfect soccer game. You saw 13 goals, which I guarantee you, who everyone watching that has never seen that before, and you got to say the word nil. All in one. You got to use the lingo and see 13 goals instead of it being nil-nil. Luke and, and uh, Flo would suggest not eating Thai food for the next 13 days. I ate Thai food last night. It was fantastic. And you know what? I didn't last night or today, but I thought about it both times. Rice and Spice is calling my name. Oh. Did you see the L.A. Times Free headline, by the way? Go. No, what did they say? Oh, people are outraged about this one, too, but it's just, it's perfect. No, so the, not. the LA Times headline was First Course, Thai Takeout. <laughs> no, you know what? No one would have noticed this if uh, that was a Darren Ravel thing, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, he, he was, oh, unbelievable. That's just, hey, let me log on to the internet and see how many people will pay attention and interact with me. No, Nick, he's not actually mad. It's all a farce. Uh, Jeremy and Jackson wants to know if we're tired of winning. Is Megan Rapinoe still not standing for the national anthem? If so, I feel like she shouldn't be part of the national. Okay. I, I, she and Richard, I think. I don't know. Oh, shut up. Well, hey, Dad. Well, the answer to that is yes, by the way, for whatever it's worth. She is. It's also uh, Rapino. I'll step in <laughs> double whammy there. Oh, I said Rapinoe? Yeah, it's Rapino. Yeah, yeah, I don't even watch soccer, and I know that. Uh. 
Russell, uh, did y'all see the umpire get on the Big Mac when he was celebrating his homer? Yes, he also was not pleased with the 13-0 final the, result. Uh, there's he's a, a decent and chance for the national that, anthem. He's, he's a triple whammy. There's a decent chance that no cl- no class guy from the 601 and that umpire either the same person or related. I'm going to put it at 30%. Wait, d- d- didn't that umpire like jump into Facebook? Yes. Yeah. Like defending his call? He did. Wait, somebody sent us a, a picture of that, didn't we? Yeah, there we go. Um, somebody asked him, but you still love the game, right? He says, no, but I like the money. So he doesn't love baseball anymore. And, um, says, uh, I take it you don't like guys that pimp a home run. LOL. Love it. That's one of his buddies. And he responds, that is correct. Very weak move. Speaking of weak move there, Loser. Mr. Sylvester. Waddling down between first and second base, letting a guy have it for staring at a ball. Weak sauce. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Go check it out, baby. Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippy. Glad to have you along on this Wednesday afternoon. Borky, should I tell what we were talking about in the break? Yeah, you should. Somehow, Saved by the Bell came up. What did I, what what prompted me mentioning Saved by the Bell? I think you just started yelling something. What? Like you just started yelling some line from it. I said, "What is that?" Oh yeah, it was a random line from when Zach was. Uh, I offered you a chip, and it reminded me of a line where Zach was like filling in as Mister Belding and was trying to. Never mind. Just a random line from the uh, from the show, and that's when we learned that you'd never seen Saved by the Bell. None, like no zero episodes ever. No, because I I even googled like the cast and all that, and it didn't come up. But it's not like I was like. Like a weird kid. Like I wa- apparently I watched a lot of things that went on during this time period, like Fresh Prince, Full House, and all that. Just didn't catch Saved by the Bell. Yeah, never even really heard of it. I got the question. Like I'd heard that. No, okay, heard of it. I'd heard what like the term now, show. When I you were born, what year? Nineteen ninety five. Yeah, it made its debut in nineteen eighty nine. Negative six. Yeah, that's not the, watching uh, TV. Then. That's the problem. Um. All right, so, hey, Dad, I, I threw out the question, what do you think the best episode all time of Saved by the Bell is? Right, so I, I was not a huge fan of the show, but my cousin, Stephen Agostinelli, who runs the Six Pack website, was a monster fan of the show. His answer is the one where Jesse takes caffeine pills. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like the most quoted and probably the most popular. I just don't think it's the best. Well, he disagrees with you. Well, I, I mean, I, I get it. And, and that's not a surprising answer. It's just that particular episode was kind of annoying. Oh. What's the worst TV show of that variety you've watched? I think I answered my own question during the break. I think mine's George Lopez. I had a, a heck of a phase of that. I don't really know why, because that show is awful. Did that air at any time that wasn't like 3 a.m.? Well, yeah, it did, because when it first came out, I was like 8, 9, and like that's Nick at Night at 9 p.m., if I remember correctly, immediately following Saved by the Bell on Saturday mornings, so it was like cartoons and then Saved by the Bell at 10-ish, yeah. and yeah, then at 10.30, the show that followed it was called California Dreams or California Dreamin' or something like that, and it was an abject disaster. It was horrible. Probably watched it anyway. Um, 
All right, Borky, it's an open-ended poll question. Your favorite Saved by the Bell episode? Oh, man, um, probably when Zack and Slater get in a fight. No, no, I'm not asking. Yes, I want yours, but I'm saying no one poll cares question. about your opinion. O- open-ended poll question on the the twitters.com. Oh, well, you should have specified. I thought when I said poll question that that specified. Oh, that you were polling like the the group here. Okay, I'll put that out there. I want I want other reactions as well at uh, at Sports Talk M I S S. Your favorite or or the best. Um, Hmm. Saved by the Bell episode of all time. I, I, again, I'm not surprised that the uh, Jesse another, caffeine another, pills. Uh, another one here. I'm so excited. I just can't hide it. Gets top billing. I just don't think it's the best episode. He also wants to throw in the episode where Stacy Carosi's boyfriend visits during the summer and tries Ooh. to give her his fraternity pin, and she likes Zach. Hmm. Is that a is that is that a top notch one for you? Yeah, that that well, that takes it to a different level because now you're going to save by the bell like off campus, like okay. when they worked at the uh, at the uh, the beach place for the summer. Mm-hmm. Like all of them went as interns and worked at this beach, and then you had saved by the bell the college years, which was fairly disappointing. Right, and then you got to go back to like the original deal with Miss Bliss as the junior high teacher. Malibu yeah. Sands is what he says. The Malibu Sands, that is correct. Kevin he says when Zach became principal for a day. Which is where my good point, Chip, line came from that got this entire discussion started. Sports talk, sometimes, <laughs> presented by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land if you've got land financing needs of any kind. Okay, now's not too early. You're mid-June. Certainly not too early to be thinking about hunting season, but it's also not too late to pull the trigger on a property, no pun intended, that will give you your own spot to hunt this fall. I mean, look, we're 80 days away from the start of the college football season. That means both season won't be far behind, and then you'll get into gun season, and you might need a place to dove hunt. Well, you can have your very own place. If you found that in North Mississippi and you're ready to pull the trigger on it, ready to buy it, reach out to Mississippi Land Bank. You can find their website, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. College football fix. Let's do it. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Don't forget that between now and the 4th of July, Ford is saying thank you to our military and first responders. If you fall into either of those categories, military or first responder, there's extra savings for you on top of the current incentives at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Borky, you want to rank the quarterbacks 1 through 14 in the SEC, is that right? Yeah, since we talked about quarterbacks and lack of star power yesterday, the SEC kind of may have that same problem, but I wanted to take it a step further. But just 1 through 14, and for example, this is off the top of my head, I was planning on sitting down tonight and like actually doing the math and really thinking about it, but just for a reference point, Tua, Jake Fromm, Kellen Mond, Felipe Franks, Kelly Bryant, he did go to a playoff. Joe Burrow, Jake Bentley, 
Garantano at Tennessee, Ben Hicks at Arkansas, Terry Wilson, Kentucky, Matt Corral, Tommy Stevens, Bo Nix, and Riley Neal. The last four are really guys that we have no idea uh, whether or not they're going to be good. We just haven't seen them. So off the top of my head, there's one through 14. What's the criteria? Numbers? Winning? Not numbers, but... Total package? Total package, yeah. I mean, if you go by just numbers, there are going to be some offenses that favor players over others, but if you had to pick a quarterback to be the quarterback of your team today, today, knowing what you know, not projecting, who would you pick in order? Mm. I mean, I think two has got to be one. He wasn't that impressive in his last two games. But the talent, the, the skill set is there. I'm good with Fromm at two. Uh, I probably would have Joe Burrow higher than six. Oh, God. <laughs> I almost just said that for a uh, reaction out of Hey Dad. There was no Take almost. Bet. You did it for that reaction. I mean, is Jake Bentley at seven just because he's been there for a while? Yeah, see, um, basically, even though Ben Hicks, I know he hasn't played a snap at Arkansas, but he's thrown for almost 10,000 yards in his career. Kid can play. He did it at SMU. SMU, uh, But, I mean, he can play. Do we believe in Terry Wilson at all at Kentucky? Not at all. The only reason why I had him ahead of Corral, Stevens, Knicks, and Neal is because we actually know what he is, and we just simply don't know about the other four. But he might lose his job this season to a freshman. Is Bo Nix going to be the starter at Auburn? Probably. Probably, but who knows? Kind of a weird year for quarterbacks in the SEC. I know you were pointing to that yesterday, nationally. I mean, I I, I think the possibility exists that this ends up being a really good year for quarterbacks. I mean, Tua and Jake, from obviously, if Kellen Mond takes another step forward in year two under Jimbo Fisher, Felipe Franks, I think there's another step to take forward. I'm less of a Kelly Bryant fan, but that's probably not fair. He's going to be your quarterback at Missouri. I like Joe Burrow. Not a huge Jake Bentley guy. I've heard people say that Jarrett Garantano is going to be much, much better this year. Yeah. Should I believe that? And Tennessee's the dark horse in the East, so I've heard. Yeah. And that feels like Stop me if you've heard this before. Yeah, uh, stop. I've heard that before. Although it does feel like for the first time in several years that they're kind of settled on a quarterback in Knoxville. Really interested to see Matt Corral in Rich Rod's offense. Really interested to see Tommy Stevens in Joe Moorhead's offense. I know nothing about Riley Neal. There's nothing to know. That was mean, but that's true. There's nothing to know. Vanderbilt's going to—they—they they could even be better and take a huge step back because of their schedule. But now that Shermer's gone, they're taking a pretty big step back. Kyle Shermer was good. Will Bardwell will join us. Have a little golf conversation when we come back in the Renaissance Bank Studio.
Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online, supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, and you. Glad to have you along. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. I do this with some level of trepidation because I think this is the first person that's ever joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line that could actually attest if they were so inclined to uh, my lack of academic prowess. Will Bardwell, who is the uh, creator of the Lying4 website, Lying4.com. Really cool golf website. Will, what's up, man? Man, I'm doing great, except I'm having a hard time hearing you. I'm not sure whether that's my fault or you're happy to try to muddle through it. Let's see. Is that any better? That is significantly better. Good. Good. I think Borky decided to try and get creative and uh, didn't work out so well. Uh, the website is lying. Just oh. tried to help things and made them worse. It's okay. There you go. Lying4.com. Will, why did you start a golf website? Well, you know, I, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, I graduated from Ole Miss in '03, and then worked at the newspaper in Meridian for a few years before I went to law school. And I, I've never regretted... Uh, becoming a lawyer, but I've always missed the storytelling element of writing about sports. And, uh, you know, as I've gotten more interested in golf uh, and, and come to appreciate the storytelling element that goes with writing about golf, I uh, was just looking for an outlet, really, to, to tell stories about people involved in golf in this part of the country. There's some really cool stories there. Uh, one in particular, if uh, if you are maybe from North Mississippi or you followed the FedEx St. Jude Classic through the years, end of April he put a story up about Memphis, and it's uh, a pretty fascinating look into the role that golf has played in the history of the city of Memphis and kind of the ebbs and flows of the golf tournament. How big a deal is this? We're going to see this the week after the Open Championship, Memphis getting a World Golf Championship event with FedEx as the title sponsor, how big a deal is this for the city of Memphis? Well, I think it's a big deal not just for Memphis, but for uh, pro golf fans all around the Mid-South and the Deep South. I mean, excluding the Masters, which, I mean, any tournament that you have to enter a lottery uh, to get tickets into, uh, I don't know if you can really call a, a publicly accessible golf tournament. This is the biggest publicly accessible golf tournament in this part of the country. Uh, It's going to have a stacked field. Uh, People in that city are just going nuts about it, and I know that it's kind of a a popular thing among folks on Twitter to to poop on WGCs, Uh, but uh, the people I talk to uh, who are more just run-of-the-mill golf fans uh, in this part of the country are, are really excited about it. I certainly am. And, and, Will, the interesting thing, if you look at the winner's list in Memphis, kind of going back over the course of, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years, most of the greats in the game have won at some point in Memphis. Now, in recent years, you've not had Tiger Woods play in this event. I guess it remains to be seen whether or not Tiger ultimately plays this year. But the majority of the top 10, the majority of the top 100, are going to be in Memphis the week after the Open Championship. And, it, I mean, depending on how much stock you put in the FedEx Cup playoffs there uh, that will begin shortly thereafter, uh, this is arguably the, the last big tournament of the year. Uh, so, And you're right. You know, maybe I don't know whether Tiger takes that week off or not, uh, but there's going to be a lot of pressure for, uh, for folks who are trying to uh, solidify their position for those playoffs 
to participate in that event just because there are going to be so many FedEx Cup points available. I want to talk about the U.S. Open in a second, but before we do that, Old Waverly, uh, coming up the first week of August, I think it is, is hosting the U.S. Women's Amateur this year. Uh, you wrote pretty extensively about the history of Old Waverly and USG events. Um, how important is it, or maybe how exclusive a company is it, for Old Waverly to be hosting yet another USJ, uh, USGA event? You know, I did the math on this when I wrote that story, and I, off the top of my head, I think that the the number of clubs that have hosted USGA that have hosted three USGA events over the past twenty years is only like twenty five, and you know, even if you don't know all twenty five, you, you don't have to be a huge golf nut to be able to pull some of those names out of the air uh, just off the top of your head. You know the. Uh, the Pinehurst number twos of the world, the, the Pebble Beaches of the world are on that list, and so is Old Waverly. This will be its third USGA event in 20 years, uh, which is funny because uh, you know folks can remember 20 years ago when Old Waverly hosted the uh, the Women's Open, uh, there was a lot of blowback in the national media about uh, you know this place being out in the middle of nowhere and uh, it's not really worthy uh, of a tournament of this caliber. Uh, and now here we are 20 years later, uh, they're hosting their third USGA event, and uh, I'd be surprised if they don't host another one sometime in the next decade. So uh, it, history has definitely vindicated Old Waverly, uh, and I, I think it's just going to be a terrific event. The course is in great shape. Uh, it plays tremendous under firm and fast conditions. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be a blast to go out there and see those players take it on. Yeah, I'm not sure that there's a golf community in Mississippi that wouldn't like to have Old Waverly, and of course now Mossy Oak right across the street from it, in their own hometown. Uh, just one of the really special places in uh, in golf. Will Bardwell on your radio. He is the author at Lying4.com. He's also an attorney here in Mississippi. Uh, really wanted to talk some U.S. Open with you. So you look ahead to the field this weekend. It's at Pebble Beach. That is the site of, uh, I guess, the most dominating performance in Tiger Woods' career although Tiger Woods a long way removed from where he was in his career when he had that dominant performance. Can uh, can he kind of wake up the echoes this weekend uh, on the West Coast? You know, it's funny. Um, I think the answer to that is yes. But if he contends, and, and I think there's a really good chance that he could because this course sets up really well for him, he's going to do it in a very different way than he did in 2000. Uh, just because his game looks a lot different than it did in 2000, where he, you know, 19 years ago, uh, he could outdrive everybody, uh, and the, that's just not the case anymore. I think he's, he's somewhere in the 70s this season uh, in strokes gained driving, uh, which is not bad. It's just average. Uh, so distance and accuracy about the same. He's in the 70s. Um, but his strokes gained to green and his strokes gained approaching the green are both excellent. Uh, and so what that tells you is that if you can, if he can find a way to get around without pulling driver 14 times around, uh, he's got a really great chance because then he doesn't have to keep up with the Brooks Kepkas and Dustin Johnsons of the field. Uh, it, it turns into more of a, of a long irons contest and Tiger can win that contest. Yeah, and the interesting thing about I saw an interview with Brooks Kepka yesterday where he said he may not hit 
but four drivers the entire weekend. That This is not a bomber's course. They come off Beth Page a couple of weeks ago. That's a place where you need to hit it a mile. It's a long course. It's ridiculous with the rough. Uh, the rough is going to be penal. The greens are not huge, but this is not a place where you've got to bomb it off the tee. No, and in fact, uh, there are not only a lot of holes where you really shouldn't hit driver. There are a lot of holes at this golf course where you just can't hit driver, even if you wanted to. Um, now, certainly, somebody like Brooks, uh, and you know, there are other guys who who have that same kind of skill set, like Rory and and DJ. Um, they're always going to have a leg up, just because if you can nuke the ball off the tee the way they do and and hit the fairway, uh, you're always going to have an advantage, no matter how much the golf course opens itself up to shorter players, too. Uh, but I do think, by virtue of the fact that Pebble is going to play so much shorter than Beth Page did last month, uh, mm-hmm. you're going to see a, a more diverse leaderboard on the weekend. You're going to see guys who, you know, I mean, Brooks is going to be there, uh, but uh, you're going to see guys who don't just murder the ball off the tee the way he does, too. Well, last thing, got about a, a minute left. The uh, the one thing missing on Phil Mickelson's illustrious resume is the U.S. Open. He's made no secret about the fact that that's the tournament that he wants so very badly. Will he be in contention? Are we going to see Phil Mickelson's name on the leaderboard when he goes off on Sunday afternoon? Well, everybody would love that. I, I would be stunned, though. Um, you know, I was one of the ones who, in February, when he won the AT&T Pro-Am out at Pebble Beach, said, gosh, this... Uh, this all seems to be lining up for him. Uh, but since February, I mean, his results from week to week have been bad. His statistics are terrible. Uh, I, I just don't think that, uh, that the window is open for him anymore. Uh, I, I suspect he'll probably make the cut, uh, but I, I don't expect him to be uh, a real threat come Sunday. Who's the more sentimental favorite? Is it Tiger or Phil? <sighs> At this point, I mean, gosh, you know, I would have to say Tiger. Um, he has really reignited his career and brought fans back into uh, into yeah. golf that uh, that are more you know passers-by. So I would have to say Tiger. Will, the website's fantastic. Appreciate you visiting with us. Hope we can do it again soon. I'd love that, man. That is uh, Will Bardwell. Website lying for L-Y-I-N-G-F-O-U-R. Golf stories that are Mississippi and Southern-centric. Absolutely worth checking it out. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along this afternoon. Thanks to Will um, uh, Will Bardwell for joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. A little golf conversation. He's the uh, creator of the website Lying for. Uh, dot com little U.S. Open preview. Who you guys got this week? Hey, Dad, are you are you staying on the Tiger train? Uh no, I don't think so. But but I don't think anybody can be betting against Kepka at this point. Yeah, I tend to agree with that, Rippy. He did you see? He got, you should make some terrible picks like you did in the Masters. Yeah, the one I made one bad pick. Well, no, actually, I did come in last in that thing. That was tough. But notice yeah, no one's up for a rematch. Way. What do you mean nobody's up for a rematch? Like we didn't do another pool. What? It starts tomorrow. I'm going out on top. I'm out. Oh. <laughs> you just said I'm not going to participate? Uh, you know. 
right, well, I generally make the rules around here, and yeah, we're going to do a pool. Okay. I'll send the text tomorrow morning like I did for the Masters, and... I'll be driving. I probably won't get it. No, that's too bad. (laughs) If you're going to periscope live from the road, you can respond to a text message. I guess. That means you will automatically finish in fourth place and forfeit your rights to your uh, stake that you've already won. No, 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 no. I would just be having to pay on the next one. I would not forfeit what I've already won. If you don't it's participate, like, it's a forfeiture. That's the no, rules. No, it doesn't mean it, but I didn't forfeit from the last one. That's not. We're not just making up rules as we go. Oh, that's 100% what's it's happening. It's double or yeah. nothing, absolutely. Oh. oh, it's double or nothing? No. Yeah. So I can win I can win two dinners? Or make you, make you pay through the nose? Yeah, well, whatever. I feel like this is one where, like, possibly Ricky Fowler. Like, Britt, you you have to pick Brooks Kepka, don't you? Oh, you're going with the uh, the Ricky Fowler pick. Well, no, like, it just feels like make a bunch of pars. Like, I feel like he'll be three or four off on Sunday, kind of in, like, most places. And like, If Brooks wins, hey, we talk about sports dynasties, right? Like, greatest of all time. No, Could not Brooks Kepka beat the Warriors? Uh, but the, the comparisons would come, and they would probably be warranted, right? I mean, if the even if the Warriors don't win, they went to five consecutive finals and won three of them. Where would you put this run? The last couple of years, what would be the last? Well, I we have to bring in the third year, but the last nine majors. If he wins this one, isn't that five of nine? So, Patrick Reed is plus seven thousand. I know he had had a good year, but like, sheesh, he's got worse odds than Mickelson. Uh, odds on favorite to win: Brooks Kepka at eight to one, followed by well, he and Dustin Johnson are both at eight to one. Dustin Johnson must just be a basket case upstairs. No, he's between just, the years. He's incapable of having anything go on upstairs. Is the problem? Well, he should. He has some scar tissue. He should have three majors. He should. Oh, one of them came here. But I mean, there's there's not he a shot more eighty in the final round here. The last time I was here, was it not at Pebble? Yeah, that was when he blew up, and then he had the, uh, then he had the whole whistling straights debacle. But like that was PGA Pebble. Yeah. He shot a final round eighty when he was leading. That's uh that's usually not going to cut it. There's not a more physically gifted player on tour than Dustin Johnson, is there? I mean, I, I guess Brooks Kepka would be the argument against. Mm. You seen Phyllis Cavs? <laughs> Phil's calves. Tiger Woods and Rory are both 10 to 1. Jordan Spieth, 14 to 1. He's playing better. That might not be a terrible pick. Spieth? Yeah. Yeah, and he's you know, top five in odds. Patrick Cantley's top six in odds. I'm not necessarily sure I'd agree with that. I know he's playing the same guys to I had for the Masters, and, and Spieth was in there. So. You're going to pick uh, who, who's on the back end of Hey Dad's pool? Adam Scott? Was that one of them? No, no, no. no. I'm no not talking Adam to Scott. The, I'm talking uh, senior citizen. Um, so you'll say like Chris DeMarco or something? Mike Weir. No. Mike Weir, yeah. Mike Weir. So Mike Weir, you can pick him, but he's not in the field, but you can still pick him. We will allow that. Yeah. I don't know what his odds are, but he I'll, will not I'll, be I in might California. make a change then. One change might be coming to my list. Justin Thomas has not played particularly well this year. Been hurt. Maybe that's why he hasn't played particularly well this year. That's kind of what I was pointing to. It's a fair point. Or maybe that's not what I was pointing to. Molinari, Francesco Molinari, 35-1. to 1. It's a value play, right? Yeah. Did, Has he also been hurt? Uh, no. Well, no. Wait, didn't he have like a wrist thing? Bryson DeChambeau at fifty to one. Yeah. Check the flag sticks. I mean, think about the amount of wind 
right there on the water on the Monterey Peninsula? I mean, what's he going to do with the marine layer in his calculations? I bet his head is absolutely spinning right now. It would be awesome if he was like in contention on Sunday and they put like two physicists at the like top of the like in the front of the gallery. I mean, Cal Berkeley's not that far away. Yeah, give him the throat slash. He chokes it away. Get one from Stanford, one from Berkeley. Maybe uh, his hat will blow into the ocean. Uh, Richard and Wiggins suggest that Bubba Watson is the play. <laughs> will and Yupor says, could Brooks Kepka beat the U.S. women's national soccer team? Probably wouldn't dance as much. Mm. People could enjoy their lives more. And then there was this text message on this Eastbire text line. Only things I know about Saved by the Bell is my kids watched it. Also... Here's your non sequitur. I seem to trade in my wives every 10 years or so, their fault, not mine, for a newer model. This one knows the show, and some chick from the show now has a cooking show on the Food Network, Tiffany Thiessen. Did she drop Amber as part of her middle name? She was Tiffany Amber Thiessen for a while. All right, hey, that brings up a, a, a reasonable question. Best post-save-by-the-bell career. Well, I know giving it's it not. To? I know it's not. Screech? Uh. Yeah, that's the correct answer. Screech, uh, is he still in jail or is he out now? I I don't know. I, I don't keep up with him. Uh, and then the other one, Lark Voorhees, uh, who played Lisa Turtle. Isn't that right? She kind of went off the uh, yeah, radar, she's off the she? grid. She's off yeah. the grid. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, with Mark Paul Gosler. Uh, it's either him or Mario Lopez. I'm going to go with Mark Paul, though. Mainly because in Mark terms Paul's of net worth, mm-hmm. it is A.C. Slater, Mario Lopez, who, as of 2015, had a net worth of about $16 million. He's doing well. a bunch of shows and uh, still doing extra. It was at ETV or yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. like Entertainment Tonight type thing. He was on Pacific Blue. Don't forget that. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Um, but doesn't, I mean, isn't the correct answer Tiffany Amber Thiessen? Kelly Kapowski. Well, then, then she also was on 90210 for a while. She was. She's kind of the villain there. I'll take your word for it. Uh, yeah, she was the bad girl. Okay. Like uh, she, she and she and Dylan kind of ran together, but lived with Brandon and anyway. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Um, and then I don't. What's her name? Elizabeth Berkeley. Yeah, she did the the Showgirls the, thing shortly she was after Showgirls, uh, which you know, very entertaining movie. Uh, but beyond is that, that the most what, recognized film that was rated NC seventeen of all time? Gotta be. Got to be. Name another NC-17 film off the top of your head. I can't. I can't do yeah. it. That's the answer, then. And I might not could have come up with the term show, the, the, the phrase showgirls other than, hey, you're the one where Jesse was in it. That's what I, I might would have given you. What uh, Where does NC-17 fall in the severity? Is that after R or before? After R and before it's after X. after R. Yeah. It's not porn yet. I, I it's getting about close, X. though. Is X reserved just for porn, or are there movies that could be exit or not? I'm I'm not sure. Okay, don't don't know the answer to that. I think hey, something like something like, a, something like um, like a Faces of Death kind of movie, where there's like graphic, real death in a movie, would probably. What are you watching you over there, Chief? You never heard of Faces of Death? <laughs> Negative Ghost Rider <laughs> patterns full. It's, it's 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 like it's it's an older thing where they would you could watch people die. Borky, oh god, best. You watch that video in the of the shooting. Don't don't get on me. What shooting? He just uh, said he that... watched the 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 David Ortiz video. 
He also watched that video. CNN that, put that out no, there. It's like a grainy watch, video. I didn't watch a movie, a video of a guy getting shot. And he then uh, the uh, you watched that video when we were in Nashville. The, uh, uh, yeah, the, but I didn't know what I was watching. It just I tried to tell happening. you what you were watching. I said you're going to watch a video of people getting murdered, and you watched it anyway, and then you were disturbed by it, and you got no one to blame but yourself. This was a hotel room deal. <laughs> the least of which he was disturbed by in spending a night no, 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 or no, three no, no, no. or five in the hotel with you. It was that. I couldn't sleep for a while. I was. I was. It, it was, was like that. Happy. Right. It was. Very like post immediate post Red Bull, like wide eyed for a long time. Richard yeah. and Wiggins suggest that Mario Lopez has some excellent cookbooks. Okay, Twenty points sure. to the fact that uh, Kelly Kapowski, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, if you prefer, um, played on CSI Miami a few times. Johnny and West Point asked the odds of Mississippi State winning the baseball championship. What was it plus three fifty? Yeah, I think the, is what I saw yesterday. They were the second they, favorite behind Arkansas and Vandy, who were tied. They were only plus three fifty to win the whole thing. Yeah, Dwayne in the Delta says you can't compare any video to Faces of Death, and there is a uh, you're no real Saved by the Bell fan unless you own all seasons of the show, and your three to four year old kids love to watch it as much as you do. Brandon in New Albany. Well, I guess I'm not actually a Saved by the Bell fan. Then thanks, Brandon. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.